welcome to the August edition of the Waterlog Podcast. My name is Dan Janolfi. And my name is Howard Marlowe. Thanks very much to the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today for hosting us. Today, we'll look ahead to the FY23 appropriation bills, the status of the Water Resources Development Act of 2022, the big climate deal just released on Capitol Hill, uh, as well as uh, several bills in Congress, uh, including legislation to help coastal communities impacted uh, by offshore wind developments. Let's get started. The House and Senate committee have sent their spending bills up to the floor and have held uh, votes passing all bills in their respective chambers. The House and Senate will now conference their bills together to resolve any differences. It is likely that these bills will be finalized and voted on by the end of the summer season, meaning sometime in September. Given the importance of the November elections, all House members and a third of the senators are up for uh, election and want to spend as much time campaigning as possible. It's also August, and Congress normally takes the month off, but the Senate is actually in session, uh, primarily to work out deals on the on the, uh, the climate deal, and the House will come back into session later this month to work out uh, some details with the Senate as well. Also at the forefront of the coastal-focused uh, legislation uh, that we track is the Water Resources Development Act of 2022. Each chamber has uh, passed its own version of the bills, and now the House and Senate will work to resolve any differences there as well. There are a number of uh, coastal-focused pr- provisions in the bill uh, that are, are important that we actually discussed on a prior podcast, so go ahead and check that out uh, if you want any details on WERDA. We also have our comparison on the Waterlog website, www-no, no, no dashes, dash. We don't even use www anymore. I know most that. I don't know when that Whatever disappeared. Happened, I didn't get the memo. <laughs> all of a sudden, you just don't need to find Waterlog.net <laughs> will do it for you. And you go to our legislation page, and you'll see a good comparison. And, Howard, do you think word is going to pass before Election Day? I think it will. I think it's up for grabs. I know that's not a definite by any means. But you have a such bipartisan support that I think uh, that it's basically a, a vote winner for all members of Congress who are running for re-election. So why not get it done before election I think day? we've seen some progress over the past few months that have really seemed like there's an, not an urgency, but a strong, a strong drive uh, to pass that bill. It's bipartisan. It's got a lot of good legislation in there to help coastal communities. So long as they could get that bill up on the Senate side, which they did, and get it passed on the floor um, before the uh, so-called August recess that is not a recess, I think it really does show an urgency. Good. No, so the, the big news right now on, on Capitol Hill is this climate deal. What's in it for coastal communities? Well, this is a good question. You may, Maybe listeners ought to decide for themselves because I'll just name a few things that are there. Uh, individuals like it, $7,500 for a, um, zero emissions electric vehicles. Um, there's an extension, expansion of credits for carbon capture. There are a bunch of things like that that are coming in, which I think are very good. But in terms of what coastal communities are dealing with, in terms of resilience and planning ahead for the future, um, I think it's zero. Pretty slim, right? Very I mean, slim. you saw th- things like you know EV tax credits. By the way, I think there's tax credits or some sort of incentive for hydrogen vehicles. I I don't know of any. I think you have to be in California. <laughs> That's my understanding. There's hydrogen in California, and nowhere else. It sounds 
dangerous to me. There was a high school experiment that, you know, you do electrolysis and you separate the oxygen and the hydrogen. Just a little test tube, and it makes a bang. So yeah, I didn't get to chemistry. I tried to avoid it, but this stuff is explosive. Far, far. I mean, so is gasoline, right? Yeah, and I think. Well, I'm gonna stay away from what yeah. I never anyway. took in, uh, in even high school. I'm very intrigued by the technology, and I'd like to see how it becomes, if it becomes prevalent in our. Perhaps as long as it stays in California. <laughs> now, for our California listeners, we do care about you, so. Be careful around nitrogen vehicles. And if any of you have experience, please let us know. I would love to hear it. I, I'm yeah. Just... Obviously, we are ignorant. <laughs> Only in that respect, I might add. So, yes, I think word will pass. And uh, I'm going to be optimistic. It passes uh, after Labor Day that we get it done in September. And that we are able to see a lot of projects authorized, uh, some new studies authorized, and all the provisions we've talked about in the past. So we've also got, uh, Howard has a short list of bills um, that are moving that we're going to talk about. And first, we want to focus on a bill uh, that will help communities impacted by offshore wind development. Now, I think a lot of our listeners are probably thinking, well, what's wrong with offshore wind? What are the impacts? Well, I think there are, uh, there are actually are a lot more impacts uh, with offshore wind than I had originally imagined. Now, wind energy was something... Uh, that I actually studied in college um, and was something that, uh, I mean, the technology works. You know, when these turbines spin, they produce electricity. That's, you know, that's a fact. But I think that as you look uh, and see that it's not just one or two turbines, we're talking hundreds, in some cases, thousands of turbines, the amount of land they take up and things like that. Um, there's some environmental impacts, impacts marine mammals, birds, benthic creatures. Uh, people are going to pay more impacts to tourism, fishing. Um, and I think one thing that uh, a lot of non-beach people get upset about is the ocean view. And I think that that's really a, a treasure and a resource uh, and that gives place and feeling to people who, who go you know, to the beach. They feel that sense of sereneness and peace. Absolutely. Um, and I think on this one, if people poo-poo this, Oh, it's only a view. Uh, take a look at uh, Yosemite and say we're going to put wind farms within 15 miles. We're going to put them in the Grand, how about the Grand Canyon? Either way. How, you know, any of these natural treasures. You, you would say, no, how could you possibly think of that? So you have to take another look at it. Loads of people visit the beach. And it is the beach experience that they're going for, whatever their definition and is of that experience. And a lot of that is, in essence, whatever you would call it, the, the view, the feeling that they get in the summertime of being near the beach. So if you want to have windmills, you know, in view, and not just the nice little cute windmills that we all learned about that the Dutch have on their farms. No, and not even the Dutch have offshore because the windmills that are in Europe are nowhere near as tall. These guys that we're talking about are coming close to the Eiffel Tower in size. So think of coming close to the Eiffel Tower and the Empire State Building, and you'll be within a couple hundred feet of what they actually are. And they're going to be in numbers that haven't been seen in Europe at all. So just want to emphasize that for a moment. Plus, you said quite rightly 
their impacts on this has to be weighed in terms of the community and their and fishermen and all the other things. Yeah, fishermen are very concerned, both about uh, ingress, egress, how do they transit these things? I mean, we think that, oh, you know, they're a, a nautical mile spaced apart. Well, when you're when you're dragging equipment and you've, you know, you've got all sorts of uh, things dragging behind you that could you know, you get a, a, like long, you know, these are long distances. You got cables um, and nets out there that are uh, for these fishermen and they're concerned about getting caught or getting anywhere close to the turbines and how close they can get. Plus, uh, on the East Coast, we have a lot of mammals, right? Whales, right? A couple other kinds of yeah. one other kind of whale, at least. Got you know, really dozens of types of mammals. The ones that, that you really hear about in the news are the ones that are critically endangered and things like that. Right. North Atlantic right whale. I mean, these farms are going smack in the middle of that, and a lot of environmental groups are speaking up about that. So that's good. I think I think that each each group in its own little niche is sort of speaking up. And they are and the birds. We didn't mention birds. We have uh, in uh, a couple areas of the country, and certainly in one of the areas that uh, is uh, being actively considered for wind farms, we have um, a migratory uh, bird refuge. Southern New Jersey is huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for a lot of endangered species, um, plovers. Yeah, and I think there is a lot of worry, um, and... There's nothing to re- really to respond to the worry except assurance given, frankly, by the developer yeah. that it's going to be okay. And then you have academia saying, well, show us th- the research. And it's not there. It's not there. Yeah. That, so, I know, uh, yeah, I know it's true. And I think people need to just be aware that there are two sides of that issue. And there are at least different aspects of how you can deal with it. And that we also fully appreciate the, you know, the, the urgency uh, and the need for getting off of fossil fuels quickly. Amen. Yes. Um, so, um, and I think the really the this is just being rushed, and I think that the administration may have some things that needs to change uh, to adequately account for all the stakeholders involved. So now let's move on to some of the other bills that uh, we're going to mention. Uh, the the bill that we had talked about uh, that would impact uh, or that would help impacted communities is called the Breezy, two uh, two e's on the end, so like breeze with an extra. No, breeze e. has one e, rise the other one, risey oh, right. has two. Okay, so I'm getting, I'm you getting get, the titles yeah. of these confused because yeah. they're all acronyms, right? Yeah. Um, the Breeze Act is on the House side. Uh, risey Act is on the Senate side. The House's version provides funding for the uh, the North American Wetlands Conservation. Uh, fund, while the RISE Act uh, provides uh, direct impact payments uh, to affected communities in a similar fashion as the GOMESA Fund, which was the fund that was set up uh, for Gulf Coast states affected uh, by the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Uh, RISE provides 50% of the revenues collected by BOEM from leases and disperses those payments to communities based on their proximity uh, to a wind farm. And these can go towards uh, all sorts of coastal protection, coastal resilience, and other coastal infrastructure projects, hurricane protection. Um, I don't want to use the words beach nourishment right now in case uh, well, you know those things are not allowed. But they, it seems that the fund does allow for coastal protection, at, hurricane protection. That's at least as it was introduced. I would agree. It says hurricane protection, and that's another name for beach nourishment. If you didn't realize that the Corps' original projects were called hurricane protection projects. Right. So I'll take it that way. Act like the uh, legal counsel's office of the Army Corps of Engineers for a moment. 
So it might be. But we really haven't seen the the Rise Ebel, which maybe just be called Rise, who knows, is uh, not it was amended in committee. And we don't have the text of the amendment, so we don't know how it changed. The Breeze Act uh, has the text of that one has not been published yet. So we really can't say with specifics about what it does. But the Breeze Act definitely goes to um, the a fund that sportsmen are interested in. The, the National Wetlands Conservation Thank fund. you. Yeah. yeah, I've forgotten what its name was. Uh, used a lot by, um, sported a lot by hunters and, and fishermen. So um, I, I'm a little concerned about that. I would like to see communities being able to benefit uh, toward their resilience. Right, and we're talking about areas that are, you know, relying on things like tourism and fishing, and those are really industries that are going to be directly affected. I mean, hunting, wetlands, I mean, they're actually... Yeah, I mean, it's in, it's basically a Gulf Coast interest. They, uh, the Gulf Coast, the rise bill started basically because the coastal states that have uh, uh, oil and gas leases, federal oil and gas leases, don't make out as well as interior states with oil and gas leases. So they want to get more, and I understand they would like parity. Um, they also see that they're going to be getting some wind. So they thought they would rope that in and also get the support of coastal senators for their efforts to get parity by giving, um, using the word crumbs would not be adequate, by giving a method for coastal states with wind uh, leases coming on um, offshore to get some benefit, to get some payments from the federal government that come from payments from the developers of that oil and, uh, that wind, rather. No, the difference here is that oil and gas revenues are ongoing. So as yes. you continue to extract oil, you get some of those revenues. The difference here with wind is you get you get the amount from the lease sale that Boehm gets. There aren't, there are to some my other, understanding, there ongoing. Are, there are some ongoing payments, yes, that Boehm will be collecting from these okay. wind leases. Uh, so yeah, it will be ongoing. I'd like to see more details. We both need to like you know would, yeah, yeah. would like that, and I think it's important for our listeners to realize that uh, renewable energy is great. Let's look at the details and let's figure out how we can all benefit, both as consumers as and as um, uh, co- uh, stewards of our communities and our the lands that uh, are precious to us along the coast. So what about some of the other bills uh, that are moving through Congress right now? Well, in addition to the appropriate bills and the water bills that you've mentioned already, I've got a couple others I wanted to mention. Uh, the, a, there's a Turtle, turtle, grants, uh, turtle Grant Assistance Program. I think I probably got that a little bit wrong. Um, that is got a hearing on the House side. So that bill was moving. There's a bill to establish an advisory group to encourage and foster collaborative efforts among individuals and entities in disaster recovery relating to debris removal and other purposes. That's because communities have, most communities that are hit by um, disasters have their biggest problem in collecting and dealing with uh, recovery is debris. So there are very often issues that are intergovernmental ones and the like. We need to, that bill would do something for that. It is a bill that was introduced in the Senate. It is going to be voted on, since the Senate may have uh, 
spare moments, who knows when it may pass. I think those are the major ones. Uh, there's also another bill to uh, direct the administrator of FEMA to issue guidance on extreme temperature rises. Another very interesting subject. Finally. Because, exactly, many people not realize, may not realize this, but FEMA can respond to disasters, but not necessarily to heat disasters. So a community applied a year or so ago to, uh, for a FEMA grant to build a cooling center. FEMA says we don't have power to grant you that for that purpose. This bill would, in essence, give FEMA that power. That's interesting, and, and I think that's needed. Yeah. Um, one of the things I notice is when it gets really hot, if you go into a nice forest, it's always cooler. Definitely. Right? And as we continue to obviously pave uh, and re- you know remove some of those shaded areas, it just gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and especially in, in city areas where they really they don't have as many parks, they don't have as many trees and things like that. Even rural areas where they just you know, they've cleared either for farming and things like that. Having those shaded areas really helps to cool an area down. If you don't have that, you got to find a place where you can cool down. Yeah, people, uh, the health threat is becoming clearer this year than it has in the past because parts of the country are just absolutely boiling. And uh, other parts, Pacific Northwest is coming. If it isn't already here, by the time you hear this, they're going to be again for the second time this year in way above average temperatures. So Europe already, let's take the message that's coming from the east, and that is Europe. They have just been suffering badly from very high heat. We need to have some planning for that in communities so people have a place to go to where they can cool off. Yeah. And the last thing we wanted to uh, talk about on our podcast today is some important uh, changes to the National Environmental Policy Act, NEPA. Uh, current change being looked at um, by Dan Sullivan in Alaska, as well as uh, I believe just about every one of his colleagues, uh, uh, would allow Congress, in essence, to override administration administration policy uh, regarding NEPA. So, the uh, the Biden change that happened when his administration took office would be reversed back to the Trump era NEPA rules. Um, and it allows Congress to reverse new, uh, newly finalized administration administration regulations with a simple majority vote, um, which would have impacts on things like cumulative impacts and the ability uh, to look at climate change, uh, both of which are important things for any you know major. Typically, NEPA is involved with energy projects and and. This is the ongoing battle between humans and the environment. And NEPA can be a very long process, which people, I understand quite personally that, you know, folks just complain about that. And on the other hand, it is part of the balancing. And so there are a lot of legal suits under NEPA saying not, you know, an agency didn't do this or didn't do that as required by NEPA. Um, The regulations before Trump uh, basically allowed for the consideration of anything from climate change to cumulative impacts. Cumulative impacts can be cumulative impacts of uh, one project on another, things like that. Um, And uh, Biden's changes that came about in April of this year, and I'll just have to look that up and Google that. You'll see a very quick explanation of what was done. And uh, Senator Sullivan from Alaska, Republican from Alaska, would like to reverse those Biden changes take them back to the Trump 
changes, uh, which took them away from the original regulations. If you can follow all that, I think it could be important. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Just want to make you aware of it. Uh, it does certainly affect some projects, uh, both uh, currently in the works and p p uh, potential future projects. So if that's something important to you, take a look. Always happy to hear from you on your opinions on these issues so that, uh, you know, we can, and we're happy to, you know, take them anonymous, anonymously, just so we get an idea of what our uh, audience is thinking about these issues. Yeah, we appreciate any of your feedback we've gotten a little bit, and uh, it's always helpful. That's all we've got for today. Uh, we will back, be back with you in September, uh, right around just before or just after Labor Day. It should be before. Another one. Yeah. It's kind of screwy. <laughs> Take care now. We'll look forward to it. Take care.